When a problem happens or someone does something to hurt you, where do you begin working through this relational problem? What is your starting point? May I make a suggestion to help you work through your personal hurts? Either the decisions that you have made and they have turned out really bad for you or something that someone has done to you. I want to talk about that in this podcast. In fact, the title of it is Start Here When Working Through Your Personal Hurt. As someone recently said on one of our social media platforms, this is big boy stuff that we're talking about, the content that we produce each week. And there is no question that what I am going to share with you is big boy stuff stuff. People who come to us share real hurts, legitimate hurts, things that they have done or things that someone has done to them. Either way, the result is painful and sometimes it can be a big challenge to sort it all out. We need steps to sort it out and I hope that this will be a helpful podcast even though it will be a complex one. There will be mystery involved and You'll have to put on your thinking caps. And so if you want to talk to me about this podcast, you're welcome to do that. Go to our website, get your free username and password, and jump on our forums, and you can do just that. We'll be more than happy to interact with you with whatever the issue is. The first lesson in problem solving begins with God. And so I titled the podcast, Start Here When Working Through Your Personal Hurt. So I would imagine that most of you would expect me to say that if you want to work through your personal struggle. You want to begin vertically. He is your starting point. But I want to add a little color to this uh, scripture tidbit, that which you have expected, more than just starting with him, you start with what you know about him. And so let me ask you that question. What do you know about God? What is the first thing that comes to your mind? The Lord is your starting point. But what do you know about him? I want to suggest that you begin from this perspective about God, that he is good not only do you start with God, but you start with this idea that God is good. Now, you think that is hard? You think that is no problem? Where do you land on that idea? Well, I want to challenge you because I want to give you some illustrations. I want to give you some fictional stories of some folks who found themselves in some serious hardship. And they want to work through these problems. And I am saying that your starting point is always God. But more specifically, when you start with God, you want to start with the premise that God is good. And it must be the lens through which you interpret, process, and work through what is happening to you. Remember that your starting point will determine your ending point. If you begin problem solving with the goodness of God in all things, you will end with the goodness of God in all things. But if you start with evil, or if you start with anger, what about fear? If you start problem solving with revenge, or demands, or unforgiveness, your starting point will determine your ending point, and you will end with a plate of bitter herbs and broken relationships. Let me give you an illustration, or a couple of illustrations of evil. Biff and Mabel came to counseling. They wanted to work through Biff's illicit affair with his intern. 
The adultery had been going on for 18 months before Mabel found out about it. She was struggling. And oh my, if this has ever happened to you, I need not say more. You understand completely. One of the most devastating things that can ever happen to a spouse is when the other, a spouse, when the other spouse commits adultery. And so Mabel was struggling with unremitted fear, occasional anger, anger, bouts of worry, plus an added temptation of revenge on both Biff and his intern. She was hurt and could not see any possible good that could come out of what he did to her. Here's another illustration. Marge got drunk one night at college. That was 14 years ago. Rather than asking someone to drive her home, she buckled up, choosing to drive herself. The next 20 minutes changed her life forever. She veered off the road and overcorrected. When she overcorrected, she went into the other lane and clipped the back of an oncoming car. That car spun around, hit the ditch, flipped, and abruptly stopped against a utility pole. The driver died three days later due to multiple injuries. God has forgiven Marge. Others have done the same, but the weight of what she did still weighs heavy on her soul. There are a few things in life harder to overcome than what Biff, Mabel, and Marge have to work through to find the Lord's peace. Though their interactions with evil are different, obviously, all three of them must begin at the same place. Here it is again. God is good and he is working good into their lives. Those are illustrations of evil. Now, let's talk about the challenges of evil. When evil comes, it is happening in your living room to your soul, attacking you. Biff has sinned against God and Mabel with his adultery. He needs to repent to both and accept their forgiveness, God's forgiveness, Mabel's forgiveness, he can do this, and the reason he can accept God and Mabel's forgiveness is because of the punishment the father meted out on his son. Now, once Biff has done this, he can live in the freedom of that forgiveness. What about Mabel? She needs to forgive Biff for what he did. Assuming he has genuinely repented, and for the sake of this podcast, I am going to say that Biff is truly walking out, sincere, legitimate, objective, measurable repentance. And now it is on Mabel to forgive Biff for what he did and not punish him for a sin that the Father has punished Christ on Biff's behalf. She should not repunish him. Are you a repunisher? Do you punish someone for a crime that has already been punished? This is a previously punished crime that Christ received that punishment on the tree. Now let's say that Biff has not repented. If he hasn't genuinely, objectively, miserably walked out repentance, Mabel needs to forgive Biff in an attitudinal way from her heart, not to release him from his sin, this action on her part will, will release her from the considerable weight that, has, that his unrepented sin is heaping upon her. Sometimes people don't ask for forgiveness, and so you can't transact it. 
the most common ways that you'll see this worked out is when you have, like, say, a parent that dies and that parent was abusive. The, the uh, child is carrying the weight of the father's sin and they can't transact forgiveness because he died. And so they are still captured and incarcerated. The child is incarcerated by the sin. That's where attitudinal forgiveness is really powerful and profound as they can work through this process and forgive them from their heart, even though they may never be forgiven transactionally. Christ prayed this way on the cross. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Christ was not releasing them from their sin because that's not how you receive release from sin. Somebody just waving a wand and willy-nilly forgiving you of your sin and you don't care, you're not asking. They were not asking Christ for forgiveness, but he experienced release from their sin in his heart. Because of his humility, he was not angry, bitter, vindictive, or controlled by their foolishness, which is why he was able to humbly pray for them, even though they had not repented. His attitude was good, ready, set to, to forgive anyone if they were to ask him. Will Mabel rest in the goodness of God as she applies these gospel truths to her situation? The truth is that God forgave her for more than what Biff has done to her. I would not say that to her because it, it sounds callous and cold. But between you and me and a counseling training session as this podcast is, well, that is true. And will she share the goodness that God gave to her? While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Will she share that same gospel goodness with her husband? Will Biff live in the freedom of the gospel? Not just being free from the condemnation of his sin because of his repentance, but be free from the regret as he thinks about the consequences of his sin. You know that often happens. You ask for forgiveness from God, maybe from others that you, are, that you offended a day or two or a week or three goes down the road and then you begin to regret what you did. You're not living in the freedom of the forgiveness. You're still bound by your actions. God and others have forgiven Marge for her sin the night that she got drunk and killed someone. Will she apply the redemptive power of the gospel in a way that releases her from the ongoing condemnation she experiences because of the consequences of her sin? This section that I'm sharing with you is called The Challenges of Evil. As you listen to this, you can, you can hear explicitly that there are challenges with, with evil, even as we work through the forgiveness process. All three of them will have to believe that what Christ did on the cross is sufficient to pay for all of the sins committed here. All three of them will have to apply the gospel for the removal of these sins. This is hard gospel work as they get in the trenches with sin and bring the gospel to bear from the different angles that I have presented to you, whether it's repentance or future regret that they're struggling with, or you're the victim as Mabel was. These two points, all of them, will have to believe that what Christ did on the cross is sufficient. All of them will have to apply 
the gospel for the removal of their sins, they will need more than just a courtesy nod to apply these two points. This moment is a crucial time in their reconciliation process with God and with others. Most people struggle with the fact that they do not have to do anything to merit God's good favor. They believe that relief and release from sin must cost them something. They, they believe that they must pay something. And this is why they struggle with the fact. I mean, they would tell you, for by grace I am saved. I live in grace and all that kind of stuff. But you know it's not true when they struggle with regret or feel like they have to pay some kind of penance for what they have done. Or in Mabel's case, she could easily, easily believe that she must punish her husband for what he did rather than helping him get to Christ, the one the father punished for Biff's sin. It takes a lot of biblical maturity to live out the gospel authentically. If they don't bring the gospel to bear on all these sins, they will seek to pay for what they did through different forms of punishment like regret or guilt. They may not articulate it this way, but what they would be saying in such a case is that grace is cheap and grace is not easy. What they do not understand is that grace is never cheap. Their sin cost Christ his life. Though it is as easy as believing, it was a painful ordeal because the father executed his son for the sins they committed. Someone had to pay. Someone did pay, and that person was the Savior of the world. To not accept God's plan for forgiveness is to make oneself a God. Did you hear that? Think about that. If you don't accept God's plan for forgiveness, if Mabel will not accept God's plan for forgiving Biff, but punishes him or holds out revenge toward him, unforgiveness, then she is the one. She has made herself God, the one who decides how a person receives forgiveness from sin and how a person must pay for sin. This kind of anti-God thinking mocks the cross. It says the father's punishment of his son on the cross was not enough. What I'm describing here is a twisted form of self-righteousness. My sin is more significant, greater than God's ability to pay and satisfy. Therefore, I must pay at least part. I add my good works, even if those works are ongoing guilt and pity. Or in Mabel's case, she will punish her husband until she is satisfied that he has done enough. But in either case, whether it's Biff's ongoing pity or guilt, or Marge's ongoing pity and guilt, or Mabel's punishment of Biff, they add good works or reasonable effort to Christ's righteousness. And between the two, Christ, what he did and what they are doing through their guilt or pity or punishment, there is satisfaction for the sin committed. The Father put the Son on the cross. There is nothing else for anyone to do but accept this truth. It was not free. It was not cheap. Christ paid for all your sins, past, present, and future. Do you believe this? The process of problem solving always begins with this truth. I said it earlier, God is good. When evil comes into your world, like with Biff and Mabel and Marge, you must anchor your soul in this one truth. God is good. That is the first step. 
Step number two in problem solving is the removal of the guilt. As illustrated in what I have been sharing with you, God's goodness forgives evil. So step one, God is good. Step two, because he is good, God forgives evil. And you don't have to add to that with your pity, your regret, your guilt, or your punishment of the evildoers. And now that you have experienced forgiveness, you have to interact with the consequences of the sin. Whether someone did it to you, like Mabel, the victim of adultery, or you did it, like Biff and Marge. You believe that God is good, step one. Step two, you're living in the forgiveness of that, whether you're the victim or the perpetrator. Now you have to interact with the consequences because the consequences are still there. In a sense, the adultery will never go away. It will always be an echo in their lives and it can rear its ugly head at any point. That's a consequence. And of course, in Marge's case with the person that she killed, that's a consequence that will always be a part of her life. But you cannot interact with the consequences of sin until you remove it through the process of confession and forgiveness. If you don't remove the sin, you'll be trying to process it with an angry or hurt or bitter heart. You deal with the consequences of sin from a position of strength, a position of clarity. That's forgiveness. Forgiveness is a position of strength, and forgiveness will give you much clarity. You don't deal with consequences from a place of weakness which is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is not strength at all. It is actually a weakness, and that's not how you deal with the consequences of sin. Let's suppose that forgiveness has been granted and received all around. Biff has asked God and Mabel to forgive him. Mabel has forgiven Biff for what he has done. Marge has asked uh, whomever, uh, God and those associated with the person that she killed, for forgiveness, and they all have forgiven her. If this is true, now you can effectively interact with the consequences of a person's sin. So let's note the process of problem solving. Step one, God is good. He is your starting point. Step two, because he is good, God forgives evil. Now you're living in the wonderfulness of forgiveness. Step number three, and this is where it'll get hard for you. Because he is good, I know he uses sin sinlessly. It is tough to fully see how God can use personal tragedy or sinful events for good. Because we don't have omniscient minds, we struggle with understanding what God is up to in our problems. His thoughts are, without question, not our thoughts. His thoughts and our thoughts do not always intersect, as you read from Isaiah 55, where he said, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This struggle is why it's essential to begin with God is good. Too many people in our world do not have this view we live in a conspiring, cynical, every man for himself kind of society, and this has affected our thinking. It is hard for us to believe God is always good for our good and His glory. This problem is a, a faith, belief, trust issue. Will we find God in all things and always doing good? 
I want to give you a few considerations, five of them, when it comes to trusting our good God, doing good things, even with our disappointments and personal tragedies. Think about your personal disappointments. Think about your tragedies. And I want you to consider five things about trusting God and knowing that God is good and doing good even in those things. Number one, mystery. There will always be an element of mystery when trying to understand God. Are you a person who can be comfortable with mystery? Or are you a person who needs to know all the details? Remember, you're not omniscient. You have to rest at some point in your finiteness. Mystery is one consideration when trusting God, knowing God is good, doing good things in our disappointments. Number two, explanations. If God explained everything to you to where you understood what he was up to so you could trust him, you would not ultimately be trusting in him. You would be resting in his explanations and his answers that he gave you. That's how we use explanations. If I had all the facts, if you told me everything, then I can move forward in faith. You would move forward in faith, but the faith would be a known outcome. You want to guard your heart when it comes to explanations. God will not explain everything to you because he's calling you to trust him, not the, not the known outcome. Consideration number three is faith. When Christ asked Peter to step off a boat and walk on water, he did not explain how it would all work. He wanted Peter to exercise faith in him rather than his very cool anti-gravity miracle. And so you must be comfortable with mystery. You must guard against explanations. You want to walk in faith. Number four, accusation. We live under a cloud of regret we are saying that when we say that God is make, has made a mistake, quote, I would not have this regret if things would have turned out differently, end quote. Do you, do you realize that this kind of thinking is a covert charge against God's character? It is saying he was not on the job. You want to guard against accusation when it comes to thinking about your tragedy and personal hurts. And then number five is arrogance. Not only is it an accusation against God, but it's a clear statement that you know better. If you were in charge, you would have done things differently. That is a competing against God worldview. Who will be God, you or him? And so five considerations when thinking about your disappointments, mystery, explanations, faith, accusation, and arrogance. We want our thinking to be redemptive. I think once a person starts trekking backward through life's most regrettable moments, they will eventually run into Adam. Eventually, the buck will stop with Adam. And I don't mean that accusationally or as a, a cheap way to put Adam down. But if Adam had left that fruit alone, Christ would not have had to suffer and we would not need a cross or a gospel. And while I'm sad for Adam's blunder and do not justify or play down his actions and most certainly have felt the impact of his sin, I'm amazed at how God has graciously overcome Adam's sin and used that regrettable moment for his glory. God uses sin sinlessly. At some point in our thoughts about how our most regrettable moments, whether we initiated them or someone perpetrated them against us, we have to see them through the lens of God's sovereignty and His providential care and a desire to bring good to our lives. 
Many times there is a difference between how God responds to sin and how we respond. God uses sin redemptively. The cross is the most profound example of this. To the Greek, it was foolishness, but to God, it was wisdom and power. Sin is a context that God uses to show His goodness and to provide grace and to, and to bring change in our lives. We sin, and we're the product of Adam's fall. We are active sinners and passive sinners as we are the product of his fall. And there is no way around this reality in our lives. God does not expect or hold us to a level of sinlessness, a level of, of perfection. Now, this perspective on sin doesn't mean that God will allow us to use it in sinful ways without consequence. There will always be consequences for our sinfulness but somehow and in some way, God weaves the sin of this world, my sin and your sin, into his redemptive purposes. Think about that. He weaves the sin of the world into his redemptive purposes. Again, I remind you of the gospel. God permitted sinful people to crush his son I'm blending two passages here. In Acts, Peter said that you crucified him. In Isaiah 53, it says it was the will of the Father to crush him. God was weaving the sin of the world into his redemptive purposes as the gospel proclaims. You may be sad for your sinful choices, but God gives us a bigger view of himself when you sin. He comes alongside you and those that have been hurt by you, and he redeems those situations for his glory. If you know someone overly fixated on past sin, whether it's theirs or what someone did to them, let me encourage you to help minister grace to them. Give them God's perspective on sin rather than reminders of their fallenness. Discern their focus. Are they more focused on the sin or the cross? Listen to how people talk about their problems. They can be so sin-centered, problem-centered. That's all they talk about is their problems. But they do not see God weaving this incredible counterintuitive story into their narrative by using sin redemptively. By discerning their focus, this assessment will, give, will be your clue as to what they want. Do they want God's glory or self-seeking? It would not minister grace to them to look backward and regret God's activity, God's guiding, God's providence in their lives. You don't want to be sin-centered and regret that. Yes, you can mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep. But you want to be careful that you are encouraging them from a God-centered perspective. God was there. God was with Joseph during his ordeal, writing a narrative that's blowing our minds. And even to reflect on the sinful allowances that he has allowed. You can agree that God uses sin sinlessly. And then you need, to, you need to move past this sin after authentic repentance and work redemptively rather than regrettably. To respond otherwise is to accuse our sovereign God. Sin is part of his plans for us. Learn the story of Adam and the gospel. This worldview is not to make much of sin, but to make much more of grace. The gospel is the most profound illustration of the tension between God and sin. So here's you, here is a quick four-step problem-solving primer. Number one, I'll, I'll put this in question form. Number one, do you believe that God is good? Step one. 
Excellent. Let's move on. Number two, do you believe because God is good, He will forgive you for any sin you have ever and will ever commit? Now forgiveness is done, it's final, it's clean, you're living in the victory of it. Step number three, do you believe because God is good, He will forgive those who have sinned against you? You want to live in the freedom of that. And then number four, do you believe because God is good that He will use sin sinlessly? The title of this podcast is Start Here When Working Through Personal Hurt. I have a few questions in the call to action and then we can finish up. Question number one, when you look at the evil that is in your life, whether you caused it or someone else caused it, do you view it through the lens of God is good? You want to be careful here. You want to stay here for a while if necessary. You have to have this fixated in your mind. God is good, and you'll never be more challenged by that thought than when you are struggling. Number two, are you angry, critical, bitter, vindictive, or other such things when you think about what someone did to you? Compare what they did to you with what you did to Christ. If you're stuck here, then you really haven't settled this thing about God being good. Number three, if you carry the guilt or regret for things you have done, why is that? What is it about God's goodness that you're unwilling to accept? And finally, number four, are you able to forgive those who have hurt you? If not, you do not understand the gospel the way that you should. Perhaps you want to chat with us about this. We would love to talk to you. Come to our website. The article, Start Here When Working Through Personal Hurt. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.